Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. Uh, Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Principles of Priesthood. Principles of Priesthood. Today, we will do a thorough examination of the Bible's blueprint for the priesthood. We will not only explore the concept of priesthood, but the protocols of ordination. This is going to be a vital lesson for those of us on the walk, especially for the children of Israel. The Most High have called us to be priests. Now we have to learn how to operate as priests. What What is supposed to transpire before we will be utilized, brothers and sisters? We're going to start in Exodus, the 19th chapter, Exodus, Exodus 19 and 3, please. And 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you out unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed. Read that from the top one more time, brother. There's something I want our brothers and sisters to catch there. Exodus 19 and 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob. Unto who, brother? The house of Jacob. And tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you out unto myself. And brought us where? Unto myself. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, the purpose of deliverance is for us to be drawn to him. That's a concept. That's a principle that you must understand, brothers and sisters. We know that the Most High is Savior, or, or Christ is Savior. But if he delivers you from whatever it is that you're dealing with, brothers and sisters, there's a purpose. He doesn't deliver us just to deliver us from things. He delivers us with a particular purpose. Let's read 4 one more time, brother. Verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and, and did, brought you unto myself. And did what, brother? And how I bear you on eagles' wings. And brought you unto myself. See, look at that, brothers and sisters. It's showing you the principle of deliverance, right? Continue, brother. <clears throat> Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a, kin a kingdom of priests. Of what, brother? Of priests and an holy nation. These are the words with, which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Unto who, brother? The children of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine verse 5 because I need you to notice the primary emphasis. The first condition is obedience to his voice. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. If we do what? Obey my voice indeed. So the primary requirement is to obey his voice. And keep my covenant. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. 
and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So the promise of an elevated status is conditional, brothers and sisters. There's contingencies. Let's read 5 one more time. Listen to it closely, please, brothers and sisters. See if you catch the contingency. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. See that word, if. That means it's conditional, brothers and sisters. If you obey. And keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So according to the text, our election will not be fortuitous, but based on meritocracy, brothers and sisters. It will be based on merit, okay, ability. Ability to do what? Ability to obey, brothers and sisters. See, so we have to first put that out there. Before we come and say, well, yeah, the children of Israel are going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That means what? That means you don't get into the kingdom unless you're a priest. That's what this is telling us, brothers and sisters. The entire kingdom need to be priests. But there's a contingency. And what is the contingency? Obedience. According to the fifth verse and the sixth verse. So we first wanted to show you there because why? The title of today's lesson is what? Principles of priesthood. We first had to establish who is the priesthood according to, uh, according to Moses. Who is prophesied to be considered a priest unto the Most High and therefore a priest to who? To the Gentiles. Right? The Gentiles don't know about our God. The Gentiles don't know how to you know, don't know how to serve our God. Remember, Christ told the sister what? Salvation is of the Jews, of the Judeans, of the Israelites. So you would, anyone who wants to come unto Christ would need to come through these people, his teachers. Let's go to Exodus 29, brother. We're going to stay in the same, same book. We're going to read verse 1 just to get it some context. And then we're going to jump to verse 20. Exodus 29 verse 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them. To minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. Now brothers and sisters. In Exodus 29 the Most High gave Moses instructions for the consecration of the priest. Look at this again brothers and sisters. Could you read that again brother? Exodus 29 verse 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them. To hallow them. Now look at this. He's speaking strictly to the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. There's something you must do to hallow them or set them apart. To minister unto me in the priest's office. So he's talking about anyone who will assume the priest's office, right? Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. All right. So we first wanted to show you the 29th chapter in the book of Exodus is about what? Ordination. It's what must be done prior. What must be done prior to a person being accepted in the office of a priest. Let's jump to verse 20, brothers and sisters. We first needed to give you the background, the context. Now take a look at this. <clears throat> verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take up his blood and put it upon the tip of thy right ear of Aaron 
and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of the right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Brothers and sisters, closely examine the protocols preceding the coronation of the priesthood. Let's read that one more time, because remember, verse 1 said, this is what you must do, Aaron, for those who want to assume, uh, you know, assume a position of the priesthood. Exodus 29 and 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram, and take up his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron. Which side of the ear? The tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. So look at that, brothers and sisters. It was applied to the right side as this Excuse me, as this is a sign of what? Of power and strength. All throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters, it always refers to the right side when it's talking about authority, when it's talking about power. Why? Most people are right-handed, brothers and sisters. So this is key here. He's, he's giving clear instructions to Moses. This must be done for any whom would look to assume the identity of a priest. Let's go to Romans, brother, 15 and 4. I know that sounds strange, brothers and sisters, but guess what? If you're going to be considered a priest of, unto the Most High, you must understand the rituals. Even though we're not following the rituals, there are principles in the rituals, brothers and sisters. It foreshadows something, right? Let's talk about that. Romans 15 and 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. What were they written for? Our learning. So the purpose of all scripture is for our learning. Learning is instruction, brothers and sisters. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. That we may have what, brother? That we might have hope. So the result of learning what is written in the Old Testament is that we might have hope. Now, brothers and sisters, there was no New Testament. When Paul was writing this, there was no such thing as the New Testament. So when he said things written aforetime, he's definitely not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Brothers and sisters, he's talking about exactly what we just read, the books of Moses, the Tanakh. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. For our what, brother? For our learning. Whatever then is delivered in Scripture, we ought to strive to learn. And this is where we take Christians. He said, he said what? Everything written in the Bible was for our learning. So you can't try to separate the Old Testament from the New and say, well, no, the New Testament is all we need. Paul is saying everything that came before is for our learning. Brothers and sisters, you take a Christian right here and they... And, they cannot wiggle out of this. Because why? This is Paul, whom they built their entire, you know, theology on. All Christians deal with Paul more than they deal with Christ. And this is Paul saying, what did he say, brother? Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So according to the author, the Tanakh is a reservoir of instructions ensuring that we do what? We make progress in piety and holiness, brothers and sisters. So we wanted to go there because he's telling you clearly 
Exodus 29 has some information in there that we ought to learn. Okay, brothers and sisters, that means we can learn even from the rituals, from the purification, from the sacrifices. Though we don't do sacrifices, though we don't do the rituals, there's a principle that lies beyond, underneath, brothers and sisters. If you search deep, there's a principle there that it's absolutely vital that those who will assume the identity of a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, ought to comprehend. Let's go back to Exodus 29, brother. And we'll, do, we'll, we'll read one and then we'll jump to 20. Exodus 29 verse 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. So it's telling you, you must be hollow before you can minister in the priest's office, right? Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. We'll jump at the 20. Verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ears of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Brothers and sisters, to an Old Testament Israelite, the different parts of the body were all symbolic of different aspects of life. Let's break this down. Let's read that one more time, Brother Corey. Verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it upon the right... Put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron. So first it refers to what? The ear. Brothers and sisters, the ear stood for the hearing of God, right? Hearing the word of God, being able to distinguish his voice, right? And upon the tip of the right ears of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand. And upon the what, brother? The thumb of their right hand. The thumb stood for the hand, which means doing the work of God. So it first starts with your ability to distinguish his voice, to be obedient, and then what you do once you comprehend his direction, his instruction. And upon the great toe of their right foot. And upon the what, brother? The great toe of their right foot. The toe stood for the foot. Brothers and sisters, which means what? Walking in the way of God. That's what that refers to. And sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Now, this is key, brothers and sisters. We're, we're, we're going to use today's, <clears throat> today's uh, lesson to break down these three things. The ear represents your ability to hear from the Most High. The thumb is about what you do, Right? What you do with your hands, brothers and sisters, in your toe or your foot refers to your walk, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time. Verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his son. See, so once they were earmarked in this way, the requirement was to have a sensitivity to his voice. And upon the thumb of their right hand. Upon the what, brother? The thumb of their right hand. The thumb was marked to remind them that the matters of life and death resided in the work of their hands. And upon the great toe of their right foot. See? And that's about which, which way are you walking? Are you on the straight and narrow path? Or are you on another path? And sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. So this ceremony taught them that to be priests, they had to be what, brothers and sisters? <laughs> All of these things, brothers and sisters. 
your your ability to hear is most important. That's why it's first. Because why? What you do with your hands will be based on what you hear should be, brothers and sisters. And subsequent to that, it goes into your feet, which means progression, walking. See? So the priesthood, the priesthood would be required to do what? Carefully listen unto the Most High, use their hands in His service, and walk in His ways. All of those things, brothers and sisters, all of those things would be required. Our people have to get this down. Our people have to get this down because what I discovered, brothers and sisters, that our people... They're okay just knowing they're Israel. That's all they, you know. No change of the life. No submission. Just the fact that we're Israel, that's enough for them. Brothers and sisters, that is a false sense of security. That's, that will prove to be a miscalculation that will be utterly detrimental, brothers and sisters. We're going to break this down because why? This had to go on before they assume the office. The ear, the thumb, and the foot. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with the ear first. Let's go to Isaiah 30, brethren. We're going to stick in the Old Testament to break down this ritual, brothers and sisters. Isaiah, the 30th chapter, the 21st verse. Isaiah 30 and 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So if you start to deviate from the path, you will have a voice that corrects you and guides you back to the path. That's what this text is telling you. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, mm -hmm. saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, two things seem prominent in the words before us. Number one, man's waywardness. And number two, the most high's infallible guidance. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Look at what Isaiah is actually breaking down here. Now, this fits flawlessly with, excuse me, with Exodus, the 29th chapter, the 20th verse, dealing with first the ear. Let's read that one more time. Isaiah 30 and 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, when ye turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. So this text implies that there is a, a proneness to vacillate with the children of Israel. He's saying, when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. Why, brothers and sisters? Because the path is straight all throughout the manuscript. God's path is a straight path, but for some reason... We go left, we go right, we wander off. So what do we learn here? We learn that according to the text, the most high is the source of direction. And your, hear, your hearing, your ear must be trained, brothers and sisters. It must be trained in sensitivity unto his voice. Let's go to Psalms, brother. Psalms 32. We're dealing with the ear first. Let's just deal with the ear. Psalms 32, 8 through 10. Psalms 32 and 8. <clears throat> I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. But or be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, 
whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. So, brothers and sisters, the text describes the the taming of the animal to keep it under control and to, and, and to keep it near. Can you read those one more time, brother? Psalms 32 and 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. See, so be not like the beast in learning, which cannot learn unless subjected to hardships and disciplinary actions. That's what he's saying, brothers and sisters. Mules, horses, they must be under subjugation in order for them to actually capitulate, brothers and sisters. You see that? Can you read the next scripture, brother? Because what we're seeing here is the caution not to be unruly or ungovernable. Verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. According to the text, brothers and sisters, sin is preceded by sorrow. It's a package deal. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. To who? The wicked. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. What else do you notice there, brothers and sisters? Those who do not trust the Most High are, are deemed what? Wicked, according to the text. You see how the contrast is there and how the, and how the verse is structured? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he that trusted in the Lord, that word, but you see how that transition there, brothers and sisters from wicked to who, brother, but he that trusted in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, if you have trust issues when it comes to the most high, he considers you wicked. Remember, it's impossible to serve the most high, or excuse me, please the most high without faith. It's impossible. And it doesn't take faith to follow the law, brothers and sisters. That's easy. It takes faith to actually understand the spirit of the law. But when I open up Leviticus, the 11th chapter, and it says don't eat pork, what type of faith do I need for that? See, there's a, there's a higher level, and guess what? The priest must understand this. The priesthood must comprehend this. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha. We're going all the way to the apographer. Why? Because we're dealing with the first body part, which was what? The ear. He said, put the blood on the tip of Aaron and his son's right ear. Ecclesiasticus 6 and 33. If thou love to hear, thou shalt receive understanding. And if thou bow thine ear, thou shalt be wise. This means that we are not only required to listen to God's word, but to submissively obey it. How do we know? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 33. If thou love to hear, thou shalt receive understanding. And do what? And if thou bow thine ear. That's it right there. So the text speaks of what? A inward inclination. It speaks of an internal bending of the ear. Where? In the direction of the one given instructions. You see, brothers and sisters, so that's the submission there, to bend down thy ear. Now, you can find that particular verbiage all throughout the manuscript, especially in Proverbs, to bend your ear, bend your ear, bend your ear, or bow your ear. 
all throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. What does this say, brother? <clears throat> 33. If thou love to hear, thou shalt receive understanding. And if thou bow thine ear, thou shalt be wise. See? So it implies turning the ear so that you can hear, so you can listen, brothers and sisters. It says, if, and see, there it is again. The, there's conditional promises. If you love to hear, only then shall you receive understanding. Many people don't want to hear, brothers and sisters. They don't want to hear anything that goes against what they want to do. Those are not the priests unto the Most High, even if you're Israel. And let's be clear that all Israelites are not going to become priests. Most Israelites are going to die, according to Amos. Most Israelites will die. So we're not, it's not like we're saying all black people and Hispanic and natives are going to be priests unto the Most High. No. That's not rightfully dividing the word. Rightfully dividing the word is, is telling you that 90% of black, Hispanics, and native people are going to die for disobedience. Go to Amos 5 and it tells you that, brothers and sisters. Only 10% is going to make it. Only 10%. The Most High is going to have to kill most of us off. Why? Because we're disobedient. He's telling you, do you love to hear from me? See, that's the first step is the sensitivity to his voice. See, the chronological order of Exodus 29 and 20 tells us. Start from the ear and work your way down. Ear, hand, feet. It starts up top. It starts up top, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 15. It says, if thou love to hear, right? We're going to Proverbs, the 15th chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 31st and the 32nd verse. Proverbs 15 and 31. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Mm. Brothers and sisters, anyone interested in the acquisition of understanding must learn the value of reproof and rebuke. Let's read that one more time, brother, because according to what we're seeing, willingness to humbly take correction and instruction is a condition for wisdom. Proverbs 15 and 31. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. And he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. See? So according to the author, a chief rule for life is the importance of gaining wisdom through correction, brothers and sisters. See? And especially for priests. Especially for a nation of priests. Okay? You must receive correction. You must receive rebuke. If you need to be corrected or rebuked, you have to receive that. Why? Because you're a priest unto the Most High. How can you be a priest and you don't receive reproof? You don't receive or gladly accept rebuke. See, brothers and sisters? In verse, 30, in verse 32, we read of a person who neglects dis discipline. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 32, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. In order to be a holy priesthood, we must be teachable. That's the first principle that we learn here. It says he that refuseth instruction. So you refuse it. It's telling you you despise your own soul. 
But but he that heareth reproof does what, brother? But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. See? Heareth. That means acquiesce, brothers and sisters. That means capitulate. Not just to hear it with your outer ear. To hear it with your heart. And see, this is absolutely critical for those of us who actually believe in the Bible. You have to take these principles seriously, brothers and sisters. You have to take these principles seriously. Especially if you're going to be the chosen. Especially if you're going to be priests unto the Gentiles. Priests unto the Most High. We must be able to be corrected first. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, 4 and 15. Please follow us there, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 4 and 15. Whoso giveth ear unto her shall judge the nations, and he that attendeth unto her shall dwell securely. Who is this her? Brothers and sisters, this her is the Holy Spirit. All throughout the Bible, it refers uh, to the Holy Spirit in a feminine aspect. Read Proverbs, brothers and sisters. Read this chapter, brothers and sisters. So it's referring to the Holy Spirit, a feminine spirit, all throughout the Bible. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. Whoso giveth ear unto her shall judge the nation. What shall they do? Judge the nation. So according to the author, authority is given based on your ability to follow directions. See? And he that attendeth unto her shall dwell securely. So the text teaches us that negligence and capitulation will impede your ability to possess any level of leadership. This is absolutely critical, brothers and sisters. <laughs> this is absolutely vital. Those who have a problem with authority or being directed or instruction cannot be used in leadership positions. You see that, brothers and sisters? And this is strictly to Israelites here. Okay, he's speaking directly to Israelites here. Because how can somebody who will be considered the nations or Gentiles judge the nations? So we're seeing here a clear difference between who he's speaking to and who will be the subject, uh, subjected or subjugated to the judgment. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 15. Whoso giveth ear unto her shall judge the nations, and he that attendeth unto her shall dwell securely. See? So according to the text, there's a correlation between your ability to be led and your ability to lead, brothers and sisters. The best leaders were the best followers. The best teachers were the best students. That's how, and you never stop being a student. The time, the moment that a teacher stops becoming a student, he becomes irrelevant. And God will move on to somebody more humble, brothers and sisters. So it's clear here. He who giveth ear, he who surrenders shall judge the nations. See, this is what, this is what the, the ritual was about. The blood on the ear. That's what it was about. The first thing those who will be considered priests must do is learn to listen, learn to acquiesce, learn to capitulate without being forced or subjugated. There's a difference between submission and subjugation, brothers and sisters. Submission means you do it willingly. Subjugation means I have to treat you like a horse. I have to treat you like a mule or a donkey and force you. 
So there's a difference. Let's go to Exodus 29 again, brother. We'll go straight to 20. Exodus 29 and 20. Let's break down the next uh, body part. Verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons and upon the right thumb of the right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Here we see the Most High establishing a consecration ceremony for the priesthood, brothers and sisters. This is the ceremony in which men are set apart for the service of the Most High God. And this was during this time, he's saying to Aaron and his sons, why? Because it was the, Levi the Levites who during this time were the priesthood. It was restrictive. It was prohibited to go anywhere outside of the Levites. Now we know it's different because the Levites no longer were priests and became a regular tribe because during this time, they were not considered a tribe. Brothers and sisters, during this time, you had Dan, right? But Dan was removed from the family and Levi was brought down to the level of just another tribe, brothers and sisters. So that's why it's saying Aaron and his sons. It's speaking of a lineage here. Can you read that one more time, brother? Exodus 29 and 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his son. The right side is the side of honor and authority, and each part of the body carries a symbolic significance. And upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. See, so this ritual was intended to signify that they should dedicate all of their faculties to the service of the Most High God, the Most High Ahaya. See, this is what this represented. The ear, once again, implies that the priest must be sensitive to the voice of God. The thumb or hand symbolized the priest's diligence in all his acts of obedience. And we'll deal with that thumb. We'll deal with the right hand, the right thumb, brothers and sisters. We first started with the ear to show the importance of the ear. Now we'll move on to the thumb or the right hand. We're going to James, the first chapter, the 22nd verse. Please follow us to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Please follow us to the New Testament. James 1 and 22. But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving your own self. According to the author, every time you hear but neglect to integrate what you heard, it has a deceiving effect. Why? Why, brothers and sisters? It tricks you into thinking that merely listening has some value, and it doesn't. See, this is the trick. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So according to the author, the consecration of the ear devoid of the thumb is insufficient. Brothers and sisters, please examine how James expands 
on what real hearing is. Let's read that from the top, brother. James 1 and 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, so hearing involves action. That's what? That's the appropriate response to what you just heard. He said, be doers of the word, not only hearers, because why? Many people, they hear the information, they, they know it now because they've heard it, but they believe they've grown. You haven't grown because you've heard information. You've grown once you apply the information and see James understood how that worked. The deception of just liking to hear the word. I, I'm growing. I know more. You don't grow by hearing alone, brothers and sisters. You grow by hearing and application. And James is breaking that down for us. Verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. See? So the text teaches us that what? We're called to be practitioners, brothers and sisters, to actually practice what we're learning or what we're hearing. Not to be simply hearers. Not to be simply those who just want to accumulate knowledge devoid of application. You're deceiving yourself, brothers and sisters. So I, I need brothers and sisters who, you know, who are learning new information to believe that this scripture is true. That somehow, if you're hearing God say do this or do that, and you're not doing it, or you're reading it and you're not doing it, in some way you're deceiving yourself. And I would encourage you to look for that deception, brothers and sisters, unless you believe James is a liar. Let's go to Psalms, brother, 18. Psalms 18 and 20. We're dealing with the thumb or the right hand, brothers and sisters. Psalms 18, verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the Mosaic Covenant, there are rewards for obedience and punishments for disobedience. Take a look at what the psalmist writes. Verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. According to what, brother? The cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. See? So according to the psalmist, the Most High's perfect righteousness will not allow purpose sinners to operate with impunity. Brothers and sisters, based on according to the cleanliness or the cleanness of my hands, he hath rewarded me. So clean hands, brothers and sisters, in this text are analogous to actions, brothers and sisters. This is what it's referring to. And see, this links flawlessly with Exodus 29 and 20, where it talks about blood on the right thumb of the right hand. See? For the priesthood. Today's lesson, principles of priesthood. We're going to go to Job, brothers and sisters. For those who are interested in the priesthood, especially the children of Israel, we know who we are. If you would like to operate in that office, you must first deal with yourself. See, God doesn't give us the word to go, you know, tell other people what to do. He gives it to us for us first. First, you have to turn it inwardly 
And once you turn it inwardly, now we can go out, you know, outside of yourself. Now we can go out to family and friends and co-workers. But until you internalize it, until you turn the sword inwardly, you're not ready. You're not ready to be a priest of the Most High, Israel, including me. Job 11 and 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. Take a look at verse 13 one more time, brothers and sisters. Verse 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him. Stretch out thine hand, brothers and sisters. Stretch out your hands is analogous to asking God to examine your actions. You're asking him to inspect your hands. See, watch. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. And if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. See? So look at that, brothers and sisters. Further proof that iniquity is what? See? It's invisible sin. So it's a couple things we learn here that in preparation of or preparing your heart, you stretch forth your hands, which is asking the Most High, inspect me, Father. Show me my secret sins. Show me the things that I, you know, I'm doing that I may not know is against your will. See? To ask God to inspect you. Many of us are, are scared of that inspection. We don't want the Most High to inspect our hands. And he's saying, listen, priests can't hide from me. Priests can't hide from me. They must run to me. They must allow me to inspect them. Why? Because how can I use you into bringing other people information and, and your, your hands are, are full of iniquity? See, brothers and sisters, it's absolutely vital that we do what? Internalize the principle that Job is showing us here. It talks about preparing your heart. And evidence of the preparation of your heart is to stretch forth your hands. Or ask to be inspected, brothers and sisters. See? And then he says what? What did he say in 14, brother? Verse 14. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. Now, why did he use the word tabernacle? <laughs> see? You see, brothers and sisters? Temple, tabernacle. Wickedness cannot be in the tabernacle. In the physical tabernacle that we had before the temple... Or in your physical tabernacle. This tabernacle is talking about your, your, your vessel, brothers and sisters. So he's, he's telling you it works both ways. First, it, it deals with a one-on-one, -on -one, right? You allowing wickedness in your physical temple. And then once you've cleansed that, now wickedness cannot come into the temple or the tabernacle of the Most High, brothers and sisters. It's using that verbiage because why? Because it's teaching us about the priesthood. And all Israelites must internalize the principles we're learning here in order to become our fullest selves. Because we learned that that promise of us being a kingdom of priests, it was conditional. There were contingencies, brothers and sisters. And what were those contingencies? We're reading it right here. Verse 13. If thou prepare thine heart, and stretch out thine hands toward him. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. See, this links flawlessly with the blood on the right thumb. Iniquity in your hand, put it far away. 
Okay, because why? Those who are wicked cannot come into my tabernacle. Right? See, so it's, it's teaching two parallels here. It's teaching about your personal tabernacle. It's also teaching you about his tabernacle where the priests go in. Only the priests went in the tabernacle, brothers and sisters. See? So the priests must be cleaner than the, the everyday people, the Gentiles. How can we teach a Gentile about our God and we're worse than the Gentiles? We're worse. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brother. Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, we're going to start at chapter 1 and verse 12. Wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom of Solomon 1 and 12. Seek not death in the error of your life. Do what, brother? Seek not death in the error of your life. We receive the penalty of our own immoral decisions, according to the author. And pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. Mm. Brothers and sisters, rebelliousness will always be met with the natural consequences of sin. And Solomon is breaking that down here. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 12, seek not death in the error of your life and pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. See, so what, we, what do we learn by reading the Bible? We learn that the Most High provides us enough rope to hang ourselves. The Most High is very merciful. He's very long-suffering. And we continue to go further and further and further until the rope is gone, brothers and sisters. So guess what? We are to never make a decision more important than the consequences. Never. But I know many people do that. And that's not just Israel who do that. Because why? You don't live with the decision. You live with the consequences. The decision, it, it takes five seconds. But then there's consequences. So brothers and sisters, that's something I you know, implemented into my life is to never... Make a decision more important than the consequences. Why? Can you read 12 one more time, brother? As it tells us why. Verse 12. Seek not death in the error of your life. See? That's why, brothers and sisters. It's clear. Continue. And pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. See? Your hands. It matters what you do with your hands. Why? Because you pull destruction on your own selves. See, this was the purpose of Exodus 29 and 20 with the blood on the thumb, the blood on the right hand, because it understands how destructive our hands can be, brothers and sisters, if they're not cleansed, right? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 38, brothers and sisters, because now we're dealing with the hand. We first started with what? Showing you in Exodus, the 29th chapter, it was about an ordination. It was about a coronation. It was about those going into the priesthood. What must be done before they will be accepted into the priesthood. Right? Ecclesiasticus 38 and 10. Leave off from sin and order thine hands aright. Do what, brother? And order thine hands aright. Ordering thy hands aright is analogous to living bereft of wickedness, brothers and sisters. And cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. And do what, brother? Cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. The author highlights the hands 
and heart connection. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time? Verse 10. Leave off from sin, and order thine hands aright, and cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. See? So according to the text, the actions of your hands give evidence of your heart. Brothers and sisters, the author is breaking it down clearly for me before us, brothers and sisters. There goes those hands again. Those hands, right? Put blood on the right ear of Aaron and, him, and his sons. On the right thumb of Aaron and his sons. We're showing you what the blood on the right thumb means, brothers and sisters. See, this is what it means. Let's go to Psalms, brother. We're going to Psalms 18 and 24. I hope brothers and sisters are jotting these down, especially the children of Israel. Why? Because we're called to be a kingdom of priests. You must understand the rituals, the spiritual significance. And see, this is why we take Christians there. Because Christians say there's no value in the Old Testament, even though that's contradictory to what Paul said in Romans. We go into it, we read the sacrifices, yeah, because it, it's, it's, there's a shadow there, brothers and sisters. It points to something in the future. So yes, do we sacrifice animals? No, we don't sacrifice animals. We're not putting blood on our ears and, and all that. So no, we don't do that. But the principle of what it represents, the symbolism, we still deal with today, brothers and sisters. And I want to make sure I put that out there just in case we have a newcomer listening to this and they want to, you know, scurry away from the truth based on us reading the, the rituals of putting the blood on the ear, right? What's that say, brother? Verse 24. Psalms 18 and 24. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness. According to what, brother? My righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. According to what, brother? According to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. Mm. Your reward will be reciprocated based on the cleanliness of your hands. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? Do you see that? Continue. Verse 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. Here the psalmist is telling us how the Most High will respond to different types of character traits. Let's read 25 one more time, brother. 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou will show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou will show thyself forward. See, so according to the text, your character determines how God treats you, brothers and sisters. According to what we're seeing here, the merciful, the upright, and pure are shown those same exact qualities from the Most High. Because why? Righteousness has consequences, brothers and sisters. There's consequences for righteousness. Let's go a few chapters away. Um, Psalms 24 and 3. We're still dealing with the hands, brothers and sisters. Psalms 24 and 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. 
who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Notice how clean hands are associated with a pure heart and the ability to enter God's presence. See, this is about entering God's presence. Can you read three one more time? Because this is for the priest. Psalms 24 and 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Who can go into his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Mm. Brothers and sisters, according to the psalmist, clean hands <clears throat> are one key to being able to enter into the presence of the Most High God for worship. See? Here we see clean hands is not a reference to personal hygiene, but it's a metaphor for our spiritual condition. Can you read those three, those three scriptures again, brother? Verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Look at that. He shall receive the blessing, right? The righteousness from the God of his salvation. It pointed to what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Once again, there's a there's a hand-heart connection all throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. So that means we can look at your actions and see evidence of what what's going on in your heart. You see that, brothers and sisters? You know a man or woman by their fruits, by their actions. And their actions is indicative of what what's hidden in their heart, brothers and sisters. Let's go back to Exodus 29. Exodus, the 29th chapter, the first verse. Exodus 29 and 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. Now remember, this was for the priest, for the priest's office. These, these men were hallowed to enter into the priest's office. Let's jump to verse 20. Verse 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons and upon the thumb of their right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot. Now remember, the putting on of the blood of the right ear was to consecrate the hearing. Then it had the hand, which was what? Obedience. And the blood put on the big toe of the right foot means every step should be guided by the Most High. You must be guided by the Most High. You don't operate how you would like to operate, okay? If you're going to be a priest. Now, if you want to be just some regular, you know out there, then hey, be a Gentile, <laughs> okay? Act like a Gentile. Be a Gentile of the mind. But for the children of Israel who are understanding the children of Israel and want to assume the identity of who God created us to be, then this is what it takes, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 4 and 26 because it talks about the foot now or the toe, right? What spiritual significance does that have today? Proverbs 4 and 26. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. 
remove thy foot from evil. See, so the author carefully advises us to watch our steps. There goes that turn to the left, turn to the right thing again, brothers and sisters. Let's start at, let's start at 26. Verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. That, look at that. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. So here we're seeing that feet and eyes are joined. Now con consider attentively what our ruling passion is. This is what he's saying. Consider what is your ruling passion. Ponder the path of your feet. Right? Verse 27. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Let nothing turn thee aside from the path of virtue. Brothers and sisters, the implication is that the path of righteousness is a straight path without any deviation. And it's clear there, brothers and sisters. He says, consider thine actions before execution. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't turn right. Don't turn left. The straight and narrow is the path of righteousness, of the path of virtue, is the path of light, brothers and sisters. Remember that first scripture we read in the Tanakh? It said what? You'll hear a voice behind thee when you turn to the left and turn to the right. He's saying, no, son, no, daughter, get back on this path, okay? You're deviating. Priests cannot do this. Priests may go off for momentarily, but the second they hear the instruction, they respond to it, brothers and sisters. If you don't respond to his voice, you cannot be considered a priest unto the Most High. You cannot, because you don't respond to his voice. Let's go to Jeremiah, brother. Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, the 16th verse. Jeremiah 6 and 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The prophet speaks of the old paths. Where is the good way? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the way and see, and ask for the old path. Ask for what? The old paths. Where is the good way? To do what? And walk therein. Look at that. To walk in the old path is equivalent of obeying that which the Most High have commanded. So there it is. That's the tie-in right there with the toe. That's the tie-in. Continue, brother. And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So if you walk Therein you'll find rest. But they said. What they said, brother. We will not walk therein. You see that? That's our people. He's directing you. He's giving you directions like a GPS through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a GPS. And we're saying, well, no, I'm going to go this way. See, this is our people. Obstinate, stubborn. He's saying these same people I've chosen to be priests of the earth. But only a select, only a small few of these people. Okay? Only a small few. Because why? Too many of them are set in their own ways, refusing to walk on the path of righteousness. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 16. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, 
Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask yourself, for, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. He said, ask. See, you don't know the path. <laughs> we don't know the path devoid of the Holy Spirit, devoid of the Most High, devoid of the Messiah. And ye shall find rest for your souls. See, you only find rest. <laughs> See, you only find rest when you walk on the right path, brothers and sisters. But they said, we will not walk therein. We don't want rest. See, we don't, we don't want rest. See that, brothers and sisters? You don't have any clue what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath was about rest. It was about Christ. Christ is actually our Sabbath. Christians always said that, but you didn't really know what it meant when Christians said it. The Sabbath points to Christ, brothers and sisters. Remember, he said, come, all, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. Right? He's saying, rest in me. Believe in me. Follow me and have rest for your souls. You know, instead of going all over the place and, and advancing nowhere. All this extra work you're doing. Haggai told us this, right? All this extra work that you're doing. When you could have had rest had you just followed me. See, look at all the... Um, go read the gospel again and look at all the miracles or the healings that Christ was doing on the Sabbath. Okay? He was doing that purposely to show the Pharisees that, listen, you don't understand the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath points to me, which is rest. Okay? Rest. Submit to me and find rest. And we'll do something. We'll do something on that in the future. We'll do something on that. Let's go to Micah 6, brother. We're standing in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. We're at Micah, the 6th chapter, the 8th verse. Micah 6, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. Micah boldly proclaimed something. What was it, brother? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Look at that. Micah boldly proclaimed that certain things are required of those who follow the path of the Most High, brothers and sisters. And I need you to examine it closely because these three actions are not suggestions, nor are they mere options. These behaviors are mandatory. Verse 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? What does he require of us, brother? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And to do what? And to walk humbly with thy God. See, walk humbly means to act submissively, recognizing one's position of lowliness, brothers and sisters. Guess what? No one can walk with God unless he fully submits to the Most High God's leadership. That's why I said walk humbly. Because the only way to walk with him is humbly, brothers and sisters. And that means submission is implied in the word humbly in this verse. So it, it's a requirement that we walk with the Most High God. This is one of my, my favorite passages in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. 
because he breaks it down very clearly what he desires. See, it's very clear here. What does it say, brother? Verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And to walk humbly with thy God. Now you're seeing what the blood on the right toe was. Now you're seeing what it was about, brothers and sisters. See, that ritual, though we do not follow that ritual, the principle still remains the same. The principle remains, brothers and sisters, showing you what? The importance of the Old Testament. I don't know how Christians, I really don't know how they could reject the Old Testament when there's so much information. There was no prophets in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, okay? <laughs> okay? There's no prophets in the, in the New Testament. The prophets were in the Old Testament. So you really can't even know what's going on in the New Testament. I mean, you can't even really know what's going on at this time if you don't read the Old Testament. Other than uh, John the Revelator, really. You know, Christ was not a prophet. Even though some consider him a prophet, it's, he's really the Messiah. So I wouldn't really consider him as a prophet, okay? He's the, he's the Most High's son in the flesh. Let's go to Genesis, brother, 3 and 8. Because there's something key there, and it was the walk humbly. Let's go to the beginning. Genesis 3 and 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. As we see here, the Most High Ahia created man for the enjoyment of a walking relationship. Can we read, can we read that again? Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, so the Most High created us for fellowship with him. And he desires for us to walk with him. That's what Micah was saying, brothers and sisters. I don't think a lot of people know how many references there are to walking with God in the Bible. See, and that's the, that's the part that's missing. Okay, the blood on the ear is significant. Why? Because it's saying you, may, you must be able to not only distinguish his voice, but to obey his voice, right? That's why it links to the hand. So I, I first hear the signal, and then I obey. I carry out the plan with my hands. And then the feet is suggesting what? Progression. Walking. See? Let's go to Genesis 5 and 22. More about walking with God. Genesis 5 and 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. He, he did what, brother? He walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not for God took him. According to Genesis 5 and 23, Enoch's lifespan was 365 years, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Can you read 22 one more time, brother? 
Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Genesis 5 tells us that Enoch walked with God. And 23. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he did what, brother? And Enoch walked with God. The word walk is the biblical expression for fellowship and obedience with the Most High. So it refers to the manner of life a person living in nearness to God. Okay, when you walk together, if you ever went on a walk together, brothers and sisters, okay, that means there's an agreement there. And, and what does 24 say? Verse 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. See, so Enoch was taken into heaven without experiencing death, brothers and sisters, and he has a record. I, I Listen, if you're a beginner, I wouldn't encourage you to read Enoch. Uh, but if, you know, if you've been in the truth for a while, you know, and you're not having struggles in certain areas with moral parts and different things like that, Enoch has a record. You, there's only one true Enoch. They have, they have a plethora of Enochs out there that are of the devil. You need the one by R.H. Charles, brothers and sisters. Any of these records that we go into, Jubilees, Jasher, all, you need to get R.H. Charles, brothers and sisters. He's the one. Don't get the other ones. Because those other ones are, they're people that are trying to deceive us. Knowing that we've, we've woken up to know we're, we're Hebrews, we're Israelites, and that we would be looking for other records. So what did they do? What did Satan do? He created other records and then tried to give it Hebrew names. You need R.H. Charles, a serious, serious scholar who was paid to do what? To simply translate. That's it. Not impose, not to put his own ideology. R.H. Charles, brothers and sisters, I have a library full of R.H. Charles. I have a pseudepigrapher. I have a lot of R.H. Charles. Trust me, brothers and sisters, go that way. Well, remember, we just came from Genesis 5 and 23. Now we're going to Genesis 6 and 9. Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Of who, brother? Of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. What did he do? And Noah walked with God. What did he do? Noah walked with God. Enoch and Noah were called men who walked with the Most High Ahia, brothers and sisters. Verse 10. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now we know, brothers and sisters, all people come from here. We know the Shemites. Shemites are who? You have us, the Hebrews, the Israelites. You also have Esau, the white man, the Edomites. They're children of Shem also, right? And you also have the Arabs also. We're all children of Shem, right? All of us, right? So you had the Shemites. So during this time, Shem was the chosen, right? But then from Shem, it went down to one of his sons. And it went down and it kept dwindling. It kept tightening up. So it wasn't all Shemites, right? But before we were Israelites, we were Shemites. Notice you won't find Israelite anywhere here in Genesis, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Not this early in Genesis. You'll never find it because we weren't. there was no such people as Israelites until there was a man named Israel, <laughs> right? Or, or Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who was a son of Isaac, who was a son of Abraham. Abraham learned from Shem. 
Shem is Melchizedek, brothers and sisters. Look that up. He was the king of Salem after the order of Melchizedek. And guess what? When you look at what Shem did with, with Abraham, what did he give him? Bread and wine. <laughs> and then you link that with, with the Last Supper or, you know, the communion, how Christ did that. So Christ was pointing to the order of Melchizedek with the bread and wine. Go check that out, brothers and sisters. Do check that out. We just wanted to show you what, brothers and sisters? Verse 9. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. He did what, brother? He walked with God. When you walk with the Most High, you factor him into your everyday life and your decision making. So walking with God means you're in agreement with him and his ways. See, and that's what the part of the putting the blood on the right foot, on the toe of the right foot. This is what it, this is what he desires is for us to walk with him, brothers and sisters. In fact, let's go to Amos three. Let's go to Amos, the third chapter, the third verse, brothers and sisters. Amos three and three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The expression walking together is often used in scripture as a figure of speech for communion or fellowship. Brothers and sisters, I need you to take a look at it because the condition necessary to walk with God is agreement. Verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? See? So the agreement is to meet and walk together. <laughs> See that, brothers and sisters? The agreement or appointment precedes the walking together as the cause precedes the effect. You see that? So if Brother Corey and I are going to go on a walk, we have to agree to a time and place in which to meet. You see that, brothers and sisters? So before the walk, there must be agreement. We must not be dismissive to the power of agreement. See that, brothers and sisters? Agreement is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Let's read that one more time because we just showed you that Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God. I only own, I only know one other person that walked with God according to the text, and that was Levi. That's the only place that I could find that, and that's in Malachi, brothers and sisters. Amos 3 and 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? See? So to walk together with someone means to agree with her, his or her destination. If Brother Corey and I are walking together, that means we're going to the same place. So if you don't agree with God's destination for your life, you're not walking with him. So you're trying to go your own way. Cannot happen. You cannot be a priest unto the Most High and walk your own way. Cannot happen, brothers and sisters. And I hope the children of Israel are listening to this. I hope Gentiles are listening to this because there's a lot of transferable truth, right? Some Gentiles learn from us and they know more than their entire family in the Bible. And they want to share some of this truth about Sabbath and, and pork and Christmas and all that. But you have to be ready. If the Most High is going to use you as a priest in your own house because you're learning with Israelites, guess what? Your ear must have blood on it, okay? Your thumb must have blood on it. Your feet must have blood on it. So there's a lot of transferable truth. Of course, in the context it's written for Israel. 
But nevertheless, the principles remain for all. Let's go to Psalms, brother, 81. I'm talking about walking together. Psalms, the 81st chapter. We're going to have brother Corey read the 11th through the 14th verse. Psalms, 81 and 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. Read 11 one more time, brother, because this particular text highlights Israel's negligence. Verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsel. This is what God's judgment against his unbelieving people. This is what it was. What was it, brother? Verse 12. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsel. See, one of the greatest judgments the Most High can bring is to simply leave us alone to our own stubbornness. Verse 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. There goes that walk. He said, if you would have listened to me and walked in my ways, showing you the connection between your ears and your feet. Verse 14. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. Mm. Brothers and sisters, this was a, an unclaimed blessing. The Most High wanted to give to an unbelieving, obeying people. See, this is he wanted to give us this. Can you read 13 and 14 again, brother? 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. See, so our enemies find the sharpest weapons against us in the armory of our transgressions. See, they know this. He said, if you would have obeyed me, I would have subdued your enemies, all of your enemies. See, so the Gentiles know this. They know as long as you continue to ne neglect his instruction, they have free reign to come against us. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, they could never overthrow us if we did not first overthrow ourselves. See, they know the rules of engagement. It's about time that we learn the rules of engagement. He said, it's clear. If you would have just followed me and walked in my way, I would have subdued your enemies. All of them. Hamites, Edomites, Japhetic people. doesn't matter. I would have subdued them all if you hearkened or listened unto me. And subsequent to your listening, walk in the direction I was giving. See, brothers and sisters, Israel, he's talking to you. He's saying, listen, your ear, put blood on your ear, brother. Put blood on your hand, on your thumb, right? Put blood on your toe, your right toe. And this is what it means, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Baruch 3 and 10. To talk more about that unclaimed blessing of uh, of taking down our enemies. We're going to the Apographer, Baruch 3 and 10. We'll have Brother Corey read 10 through 13. Baruch 3 and 10. How happeneth it, Israel, that thou art in thine enemy's land, that thou art waxing old in a strange country, that thou art defiled with the dead, that thou art counted with them that go down into the grave. Thou hast forgotten the fountain of wisdom. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldest have dwelled in the peace forever. Brothers and sisters, 
the author highlights the relationship between our captivity and our disobedience. See, this is further proof that we're the people. Let's read it from the top, brother. Let's read it from the top. Verse 10. How happeneth it, Israel, that thou art in thine enemy's land? That you are in an enemy's land. Our people, what are we doing in America? Is this a, is this a friend's land? Or is this our land? That thou art waxing old in a strange country. You're going to die in a strange country. That thou art defiled with the dead. That thou art counted with them that go down into the grave. Thou hast forsaken the fountain of wisdom. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldst have dwelled in peace forever. See, so according to the author, God's law is not oppressive. Disobedience to his law leads to oppression. See, so according to this literature, sin merits and deserves the punishment of total destruction. Let's read those three scriptures again, brother. Verse 10. How happeneth it, Israel, that thou art in thine enemy's land? Thou art waxing old in a strange country, that thou art defiled with the dead, that thou art counted with them that go down into the grave. Thou hast forsaken the fountain of wisdom. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, for, for if what? If thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldest have dwelled in peace forever. How long, brother? Forever. When we choose to disobey the Most High, one of the pathologies of sin is what? A lack of peace. So when we embrace the Most High's directives, one of the byproducts of his obedience is what? A blessing of peace. Brothers and sisters. So in reality, the formula for peace is quite simple. See? Not easy, but simple. Let's read that one more time. 13, brother. Verse 13. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldest have dwelled in peace forever. See, the formula for peace is it's very simple. Isaiah 26 said what? Those who keep their whose mind is stayed on me, I will keep them in perfect peace. See, so when you're when you're lacking peace, it's somewhere you're not focused on the most high. You're either off his path or you're rejecting his directives. You see that, brothers and sisters? See? This is the importance of your feet. Let's go to Isaiah 59 and 7. Let's talk about the feet again. Let's go to those feet, Israel. Isaiah 59 and 7. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, verse 7. Their feet run to evil, that they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Brothers and sisters, look at verse 7. He's speaking to Israelites here. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Mm. Brothers and sisters, both hands and feet are given to sin. Even our thoughts were thoughts of iniquity. Let's read that one more time. Verse 7. Take a look at it closely, brothers and sisters. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil. Your feet. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. That's your hands. 
Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Look at that. So because their thoughts are evil, their actions are also evil. That's the point he's proven there. Because why? As a man thinketh, so is he. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. See? So there's that peace thing again. It's telling you that our people have a proclivity to run to anything evil. Anything with drama in it. Anything juicy, as our people like to say. World star, right? There's a fight or, or whatever the case is. Sisters love TV shows about somebody sleeping with somebody else's man. And this is our people. How are we going to be priests of the Most High like this? How? See, we must be cleansed. Let's read 7 one more time, brother. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Brothers and sisters, thoughts are the precursors of words and deeds. Every thought is a potential deed, and every deed is what? Is the expression of a thought. That's why he points out your feet. And then your hands and then your thoughts. So the description is not of the feet that accidentally stumble upon wickedness, but the feet that are sinfully determined. There's a difference. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their path. See, you see that feet that run to evil, not that have stumbled. Upon evil, but run to it. You see that? Determined to sin. This is our people. Devoid of conversion, brothers and sisters. Devoid of the Holy Spirit. Devoid of baptism. He's telling you, listen, your feet have been a problem before Israel. Your feet have been a problem. Your ear has been a problem. You're listening. Your hands have been a problem. These three things must be consecrated in order for you to take take up my ministry as the priest of the earth. So this, as our people as a whole, we need to do this. Now, of course, it starts individually, right? Each man or woman must individually get these things, you know, taken care of. And then as a whole, brothers and sisters. And we can do, and listen, we can get on one accord. We get on one accord with Jordans, don't we? And Nike and all that stuff. So we can get on one accord. This is where we are. Let's go to Exodus 30 and 18, brother. Exodus, the 30th chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 18th through the 21st verse. Exodus 30 and 18. Thou shalt also make a lover or a lager of brass. And have foot and his foot also of brass to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. Brothers and sisters, the labor of brass or bronze was a wash basin used by priests in the tabernacle. Remember, these are principles of the priesthood. Let's read that one more time, brother, so they can they can kind of picture this. Verse eighteen. Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. 
is between the temple, excuse me, it's between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. So look at that. Before you approach the altar, there's, it's like a, it's like a bath, a big, a huge basin with two levels, top for hands, bottom for feet, right? It looks like almost how bird baths look, brothers and sisters. And this was for the priests. Continue, brother. Verse 19. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. The Most High was very specific about the procedure at the basin. What was it, brother? For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. See? So the priests washed in the basin of bronze before entering the holy place, brothers and sisters. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. That they what? Die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn off to burn offerings made by fire unto the Lord. See? So cleaning their hands and feet with water prepared the priest for service. You see that, brothers and sisters? See, these are the principles here. Can you read that one more time? Verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister... To burn offerings made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. They shall do what, brother? Wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him to his seed throughout their generation. For how long, brother? Forever to him and to his seeds throughout their generation. See, so whenever the priest entered near the tabernacle, he had to wash his hands and his feet, brothers and sisters. So guess what? The bronze water basin foreshadowed our cleansing from sin through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. See, this was a foreshadowing, brothers and sisters, showing you the importance of the rituals. See, we're just going through rituals as priests that we must understand. See, these all had a purpose, brothers and sisters. This was a foreshadowing. Let us show you. Let's go to John 13 and 3, that Christ followed the law. Look at what Christ is saying here. Look at, no, rather, look at what he's doing here, brothers and sisters. Look at what he's doing here. The scripture we just read previous to this one, Exodus 30 and 18 through 21, talked about before you went to sacrifice, you had to wash or you would die, right? Now, John. 13 and 3. Christ, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? Now, brothers and sisters, Christ washing the disciples' feet is symbolic of the tabernacle washing at the labor. See, Christ knows exactly what he's doing. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 5. Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? 
Christ answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. So brothers and sisters, as we continue to read, we see Christ clearly communicate several key points in washing his disciples' feet. He said, you don't understand right now, but you will. Verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Christ answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast, not, thou hast no part with me. Mm, brothers and sisters, this is a direct correlation to the purification at the labor, where cleansing was a prerequisite. Remember, he said, You can't even approach the altar. You can't do sacrifices or anything unless you clean first. It said, Between the tabernacle of the congregation... And the altar was a bronze laver, which is essentially it's a bath. It's one for the feet and one for the hands. They're stacked on top of each other, brothers and sisters. And you couldn't go in unless you washed. Now look at Christ here. Verse 9. Verse 8, if you remember. <clears throat> Verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Christ answered to him. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Look at that. If I don't wash you, we don't work together. It's the same principle, brothers and sisters, from the Old Testament, where you couldn't serve until you washed. Service began after your washing. See? And Christ was setting them up. This is, on, this is when he's getting ready to die, brothers and sisters. So before he leaves them, he starts what? Getting them ready for service. See? This was the this was the this was the this was the substance of that shadow in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Uh, verse nine, brother. Verse nine. <clears throat> Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So look at. <laughs> so here you see Christ is telling Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then this relationship is over. I cannot use you. You have nothing to do with me. I have nothing to do with you. And his response was what, brother? Verse 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So in the Old Testament, failure of a priest to wash before entering in any service for the Lord meant what? It meant death. So that's why Christ said, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And Peter responded by saying, listen, you can wash my feet, my hands, and my head. <laughs> Verse 10. Christ saith unto him, He that is washed needed not to save wash his feet, or needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. But what, brother? But not all. Why is he saying that? Verse 11. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So he said, everybody ain't clean. So that means he was washing the feet of people who he knew was unclean. That he knew was, was, was traitors, betrayers, liars, thieves, killers. He knew this, brothers and sisters. And that's the difference between Christ and us. See, it's hard to, you know, to know somebody is against you and still be, be Christ-like towards them. Brothers and sisters, just showing you how much of a level Christ was on and how much growth we as individuals had, brothers and sisters. But we wanted to show you that it started in Exodus, right? With the, the bronze basin, the bronze laver, right? Where they had to wash their hands and feet 
before they could serve. And this was to the priest. And now you have who Christ is, who established his church on Peter, telling this brother, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you cannot lead my church. See, that's critical, brothers and sisters. See, because we're still talking about the feet here. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 34 and 25, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus 34 and 25. Ecclesiasticus 34 and 25. He that washeth himself after the touching of a dead body, if he touch it again, what availeth his washing? Look at this, brothers and sisters. The text teaches us that the cleansing becomes unprofitable if it's not sustained. Can you read that one more time? Verse 25. He that washeth himself after the touching of a dead body, if he touch it again, what availeth his washing? So is it with a man that fasteth for his sins, and goeth again, and doeth the same. Who will hear his prayer? Or what doth his humbling profit him? According to the author, there's a connection between fasting and repentance, brothers and sisters. Can you read that scripture one more time, brother? Ecclesiasticus 34 and 26. So is it with a man that fasteth for his sins. For his what? For his sins and goeth again and doeth the same. Who will hear his prayer? Or what doth his humbling profit him? Or what does what, brother? His humbling profit him. Look at this. According to this particular passage, fasting is an expression of humility. Brothers and sisters, why? Because it teaches you to deny yourself. See, brothers and sisters, you ignore what you desire for the sake of completing a specific work for the Most High. See, this is why on Day of Atonement, we're all required to fast. And I know brothers and sisters who fast frequently. See, this is how they get the attention of the Most High. And this is how they humble themselves. Why? Because they're denying themselves. And what I discovered is people who have a difficult time fasting typically have a hard time with pride and self-denial. Cannot deny themselves. Why? Because the fasting is just denying yourself food. If you can't do that, I mean... <laughs> How are you going to deny yourself temptation or, or lust or drug abuse if you can't even deny yourself food? See? Let's go to Psalms 25, brother. Psalms, the 25th chapter, the 4th and 5th verse. Psalms 25 and 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Brothers and sisters, I need you to, to examine this closely. Because according to what we're reading, the psalmist is teaching us to have hearts that are oriented or turned unto the Most High. Can you read that one more time, brother? <clears throat> Psalms 25 verse 4. Show me thy paths, O Lord. Teach me thy paths, or show me thy ways, and teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Do what? Lead me in thy truth. Sheep are led, not driven, brothers and sisters. See that? And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. 
On thee do I wait all the day. So the biblical principle that we learn here is if you cannot be led, you cannot be trusted to lead. And that's, I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that, brothers and sisters. And I'm speaking to Israel right now. I'm speaking to Israel. He said, lead me in thy truth. That means you must be willing to be led. It's plain as day. There's no way if you if you fail to submit unto the Most High, you will not be used for anything. You know, you'll be used for nothing but to make the fire hot, hotter in hell, brothers and sisters. You'll be fodder. See, this is key because he's talking about your feet. Show me thy ways. Teach me thy paths. This is the blood on the foot, brothers and sisters. This is the blood on the big toe of the right foot. See that, brothers and sisters? Further proof. Let's go to Jeremiah 10 and 23. Because why? We dealt with the ear. We dealt with the hands. And now we're dealing with the feet. These three components are, are vital to priesthood. Jeremiah 10 and 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The verse states the universal problem of mankind. By nature, the right way to live is not within us. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, so man is not the master of his own way, but is directed and overruled by the power and purpose of the Most High God, brothers and sisters. It is not our responsibility to direct our own steps in this life. That responsibility belongs to the Most High God and the Most High God alone. Let's read that one more time, brother. Jeremiah 10 and 23. O Lord. I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, so as long as men seek to be guided by their own counsels and by what seems good to them, they are destined to frustration and defeat. Brothers and sisters, this is the most high show. He's the director. And this is what we're seeing here. Priests have to understand you're not directing your own steps. Okay, if you're directing your own steps, you're definitely not part of his priesthood. And these things will not be compromised. They will not be compromised. See, it's not about how much knowledge you have, brothers and sisters. You can have all the knowledge in the world. He will not use you. If you don't listen, if you don't submit, he will not use you. How can he use someone who's unwilling to submit? How can you teach someone else to submit and you're unwilling to do so? See, this is important. This is important for those of us who want to be used as instruments of righteousness. As a nation and individually, brothers and sisters. There's three things that he's looking for. Micah told us. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brethren. Uh, five and two. We're going to the book of Sirach in the, in the uh, Apographer. Ecclesiasticus five and two. Follow not thine own mind and thy strength to walk in the ways of thy heart. To do what? 
to walk in the ways of thy heart. The text emphasizes that what's in your heart usually determines your direction. Take a look at it one more time. Verse 2. Follow not thine own mind and thy strength. To do what? To walk in the ways of thy heart. See, so a man is inclined to pursue what's in his heart, brothers and sisters. And guess what? This highlights that our desire and direction are connected. See? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 2. Follow not thine own mind and thy strength to walk in the ways of thy heart. Mm. So if you want to control a man, you have to control his heart. Brothers and sisters. See, and Satan knows this. That's why it tells you to guard your heart. The Bible tells you to guard your heart. All throughout the Bible. Because why? Your heart determines your direction. Are you a man or woman after God's own heart? Or what, what exactly are you doing? What is your... What exactly is your ruling passion? Be honest with yourselves, brothers and sisters. What is your ruling passion? What is the most important thing to you? What can you not go without? What are you willing to disobey God for? If anything. Let's go back to Psalms, brother. Psalms uh, 128. The title of today's lesson, Principles of Priesthood. Principles of priesthood. Today is a it's, a it's a lesson that is very vital to not only the children of Israel, but especially the children of Israel. It's a prophetic lesson. He's telling you, this is what I require of you, Israel, in order for me to utilize you as the priest of the earth. Okay? And for those of us individually who may not even be Israelites, in order for the Most High to use you as a priest in your own family, amongst your own uh, co-workers or, or whatever the case is, you must be in line with these things. See, you don't get away either. Psalm 128 verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. That do what? That walketh in his ways. Your fear of the Lord can be found in the way that you walk according to the text. Verse 2. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. What did 2 say again, brother? For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the psalm, as your success and happiness is inextricably linked to the direction that you walk and the path that you take. Can you read those two scriptures again, brother? Psalms 128 and 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Mm, brothers and sisters, the psalmist teaches us that there is a clear linkage between disobedience in the spirit of lugubriousness. He says that, he says that, can you read two one more time, brother? Verse two, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be. See, happy shalt thou be. So sorrow or lugubriousness is the opposite of being happy. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, see that? So just in these two passages, we learn a lot. We learn a lot, brothers and sisters. We learn that what your fear or lack thereof is found in the way in which you walk, right? 
We also learn that your success and happiness is linked to what? The path in which you take, brothers and sisters. So it's clear here. This is the importance of the blood on the toe. This is the importance, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 28 and 18. Proverbs, the 28th chapter, the 18th verse. Proverbs 28 and 18. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, mm. but he that is perverse in his way shall fall at once. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He that does what, brother? But he that but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. Look at this. So the rebellious afflict themselves. They procure their own ruin, according to the author here, brothers and sisters. But what's the first? Read the first part, brother. Verse eighteen. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. There goes that walking again. <laughs> what happens to the non-compliant? But he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. So the non-compliant, by a course of transgression. Afflict themselves, brothers and sisters. See, the Most High brings their inward folly to outward presentation by what? Punishment, brothers and sisters. The text emphasizes a sinner's perennial determination to be stricken. <laughs> See, he said, listen, if you walk uprightly, if you walk with me, you'll be saved, right? But if you continue in evil, you shall fall. At once. And that means without warning. <laughs> See? That means without warning, brothers and sisters. And that's the worst kind. When you just think you're good, you just, you know, and then and then it's gone. And then it's over. It's all gone. And that's how the most high is operating with us. Let's go to Luke 17, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson. Principles of priesthood. Principles of priesthood, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 20. We're going to end it here. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, What did he say, brother? The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Here it was that they had the Pharisees were doing what? They were inquiring of Christ when the kingdom shall come. And he answered and said what? The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It doesn't come what you're looking for. See? Continue, brother. Verse 21. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Where is it, brother? Within you. Look at that. He said, listen, the kingdom doesn't come by you waiting and watching like Christians on the sideline. He said, the kingdom is within you. Start bringing it. It's within you. You've built every, every empire there is. It's within you. You have to pull it outside of you. Okay? You, it has to go from inside to outside, brothers and sisters. And see, that's how it works. See, many of us, we work from the outside in. The Most High don't deal with that, okay? That's why Christ kept telling the Pharisees that you're like white sepulchers, okay? <laughs> you clean on the outside before the people, but inside you're a raven and wolf. See, he said the kingdom of God is within you, so start inside. Bring it outside. There's work to do, 
The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It comes with what? With work. Be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Too many of us are just, just being lackadaisical. Saying, well, listen, we're just waiting on we're just waiting on the Messiah to deliver us. What are you doing to, to speed up the process? Hmm? The kingdom is within us, Israel. Everything you want is within us. We have to make the proper changes. And it begins with the principles we learned in Exodus, the 29th chapter and the 20th verse today. The title of our lesson, Principles of Priesthood. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.